Welcome to It's Just Historical, a podcast that celebrates today's historical fiction. I'm your host, Suzanne Dunlap, author of nine, soon to be ten, historical novels for adults and teens. Join me and my guest for the next half hour while we talk historical fiction. Writing it, reading it, publishing it, and more with tips about process, pet peeves, and preferences. Hello, I'm here today with Terry Lynn Thomas, the USA Today bestselling author of The Cat Carlisle Mysteries, among other wonderful books, including Sarah Bennett Mysteries, and, and I think there's some interesting new stuff coming as well. So Terry, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Suzanne. How are you? Uh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for how, having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. How have you uh, been managing during the pandemic? Well, uh, my husband's a professional musician, and of course, all of his gigs have canceled. It's been kind of nice having him home, actually. And um, I'm lucky. I live in a rural area, so I'm able to go outside and take walks. And that has really uh, helped me to, you know, stay sane. I would not want to be locked in my house. I'm, you know, I'm lucky to be able to get outside. And I, I have discovered my best course of action is to keep my nose down and keep writing. Um, the news is so dismal. Yes, I, I I totally hear you. I think some writers, though, have you know it's hard to avoid the news, and when you're being bombarded with it, it can really interrupt your focus and interrupt yeah. your sleep and all that kind of thing. But I'm glad you're able to write. Well, it's it at first it took concentration, and there have been a couple days where I just haven't. I mean, it hasn't been a total cakewalk, but I've, that's been my salvation. So when I think of it that way, it's something to turn to when I'm stressed. Um, I find that the mindset helps. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you do, this whole subgenre of historical mystery, which I love. So I want to know what attracted you to doing that? Was it the mystery aspect or the historical aspect? Um, I am a mystery reader, crime writer, crime. I love crime fiction. And it's not, I think crime is interesting because it provides a psychological insight. I mean, if you want a launching pad for drama, you know, have someone commit a crime, especially in the name of secrets. Um, and as for the historical component, I always like to clarify, I'm not an historian. I'm, I don't, I'm a good researcher and I'm particular about it when I'm writing, but I write um, classic mysteries, classic whodunits. Um, the Sarah Bennett series, uh, that's my first series. Those are more gothic-y. And those books are my silent nod to the great mysteries, Victoria Holt and Mary Stewart and uh, Dorothy Eden and all those authors that we loved. And the, the, the books with the women running away from the castle in their nightgowns. <laughs> you know, I love those books. And um, around 2000, the year 2000, I started collecting them and used bookshops, I would find them. And, and I just loved reading them. They're just such a great escape. And so when I wrote the Sarah Bennett mysteries, I wanted to set them during World War II because I think that's such a fascinating time historically. And I wanted to, um, you know, World War II was a very industrious time. You know, most the, the not only was the military you know, doing what they do, but the citizens were very involved. They had victory gardens and, you know, they were so hands-on with the war. 
And I thought how interesting it would be to pop um, a medium who sees ghosts, you know, kind of dreamy into this time of industry and focus. And so I, so those are the three Sarah Bennett mysteries. There's three books in that series. I wrote those in 2014, 15, and 16. And then um, the first Cat Carlisle book, Cat um, Carlisle is, um, it's, it's a classic British whodunit. It just happens to be set. The first book takes place in 1937. And um, I was just so fascinated to that time because you know, in 1937, England was headed to war and her people didn't know, you know, they were focused on Wallace Simpson and still reeling from World War One. you know, still recovering from World War One. And I knew um, I wanted to capture that time period. And of course, it's so easy to slip down the research hole. And with the declassification, the 50-year-old you know, after 50 years, documents are declassified. And I had so much fun reading cabinet minutes and um, just really diving into what it was like to live during that time. And so I would say my books set out to make people have an idea of what it felt like to live in this particular time. You know, people are people. They do the same crimes. They cheat the same way. They try to do the same stuff, but it's just juxtaposed into into this particular time period. And then finally, I would say that it's delightful to spend 250 pages with people that don't have cell phones. You know, it's just (laughs) so nice. There is no internet. There is no, people are looking at each other and talking to each other. And it's delightful. You know, it's just- Yeah, but they couldn't have done what we're doing today. True. I, I, yeah, I, true. But then you see people walking down the street, scrolling, and especially it breaks my heart when I see like a mom out with her kids and the kids are playing and she's on the phone. It's like, man, put your, your kids, look at your kids, you know, it's just, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what technology has done to us 30 years from now. Yeah, that's a whole other subject of conversation. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's fine. I find myself pretty grateful most of the time, especially now, for the connectivity, for the internet, because as, you know, and especially as a historical novelist, the access to information uh, that's good on the internet. And readers. And And, readers. And readers. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to be able to, um, you know, connect with readers through social media and stuff. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you said something that sparked a question in my mind. And, oh, I know what it was. It wasn't a question so much. It was that I don't think you need to be a historian to write historical fiction. In fact, I think that can be slightly detrimental because as a historian, you're looking for all the facts and wanting to keep things absolutely correct. And um, even though I'm a historian, I'm a music historian, I consider myself a storyteller first and foremost. And I don't think, unless you do that, I don't think historical fiction works because historical is the modifier. Fiction. Right. <laughs> I agree. And I always, um, people often ask about my research and what do I do? And I tell them, I have a litany of things that I do. And at the end of the day, you want to forget that and sprinkle it in with the very, you don't want to info dump. You don't want to alienate your readers with an info dump and a history lecture. So it's incumbent upon me as a storyteller to be sure and sprinkle 
my research in with the deft hand. I mean, that's the job. And it's tough. It's hard. Yes. You know, because you find such great stuff and you want to give it all to them when really it's about the story. It's not about the research. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's easier to do, I think, if your main characters are fictional, obviously. And I sure. think it's, it's much harder for those who are writing the sort of more biographical ones where it, people might pile on and say, you've got this wrong, you got this wrong. But I haven't had that experience myself, mainly because I'm writing about music history that is much more obscure <laughs> in right. many ways. Right. But also, uh, I tend to stick to fictional main characters, although not always. But yeah, so... It's, it's tricky. Yeah, it is tricky. So um, another thing is, of course, your World War II era mysteries all take place in England. Did Except you- the Sarah Bennetts. Those take oh, place Sarah- in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Sorry. I yeah. haven't read those, and I should, yeah. because they sound fabulous. So that sort of answers my question. Although, when you switched to having the Cat Carlisle one set in England, were you anxious at all about sort of adopting that setting as an American writer, or did it not even occur to you? It didn't even occur to me, because I predominantly read British authors, and I predominantly watch British television, and I have British beta readers who kept me, who kept me in line. Um, and it's funny, because I think that they thought I was British when I submitted the first cat book. <laughs> I mean, I, people tell me my voice is authentically British, and that's, that was so much fun. I'm such an Anglophile, and um, it was... So much fun to hear that from readers that my voice for those particular books was very British. And it was just, um, I had such a blast writing Cat Carlisle. Uh, the Sarah Bennett books are told in first person. And so the cat books are told in third person. So it was just, it gave me so much more freedom to dive into different viewpoints. I have three or four viewpoint characters and story arcs, individual arcs in, in each of my mysteries. And that it's just that point of view change. And, you know, one thing I want to mention that has surprised me and continues to surprise me is um, readers are phenomenally sophisticated. Um, people that read, read a lot, and they expect a certain standard, I, I find. And I really make it a point when I sit down and write a sentence or a paragraph is like, oh, my readers aren't going like that, you know? And I, I, I just, I, I can tell when I'm not doing what I need to do to make the people that read my stories happy, because at the end of the day, it's about the readers in my mind. That is so right. That is so right. And there's, and I, it pains me when I interact with sort of new writers, beginning writers who say, Oh, well, you know, I don't really care about the reader. I'm just writing this for myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, if you ever want a stranger to read it, you're going to have to care about your readers. Right. But, right. but um, yeah, but the other thing I did want to say is that I thought your voice was authentically English too. And I know because I lived in London for 10 years. Oh, I'm jealous. It was wonderful. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> both, both, my, both my daughters were born there. And uh, it, was a, it was a lovely period of my life with all of its headaches and heartaches and difficulties. But, yeah, so... So I have a very highly attuned ear to the British in, in prose. So I, I, I didn't find, I 
didn't call you up about anything. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I appreciate that. And, you know, I'm, I, as I said, I'm not an historian, but I'm a meticulous researcher and I am meticulous about accuracy. I do my very best to triple check anything that I have this, even if I know it, but I'm not, I'm just going to double check it anyway. That's just how I, I roll. And I'm so grateful for my British beta readers because they don't even find much, but you know, like the, the thing, the shoulder on the road, when you pull off on the shoulder, they call it a lay-by. Mm. You pull off to the lay-by and just, you know, you're wearing a jumper and not a sweater and you're having a biscuit, not a cookie and just things like that, you know, and it's so much fun to learn that. And it's really interesting. And I love the Brit. I just love the British mannerism and colloquy colloquialisms, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, we've been binging the great British bake off just discovered. Ah, yes, that is so much so, fun. And they're so charming and kind. Yes. yes. You know, I'm sure I, you, I know that there's crime over there and like there is here. And I know oh, that yeah. I'm romanticizing it, but there's not, um, you know, American reality TV. They, they make you tired and they make, they sabotage you and they want drama. They want ratings. And well, right. Off, then you turn on the great British bake off and they're helping each other and hugging each other. It's yeah, just a exactly. different vibe and totally it's different. just a different vibe. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. I don't watch those, those reality competition shows for that reason, they're kind of depressing, but I like the reality shows where they help people like, uh, uh, queer eye, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that show. Yeah, exactly. My husband and I don't have a TV. Uh huh. Uh, we, we stream on a computer. I like being able to put it away because you know how the television is always the centerpiece of the room. You know, everything's arranged around the television and, um, we watch on a laptop and then I fold it up and put it away and I have a living room with no television. It's really cool. That's nice. I, yeah. Um, I wish I could do that, but my significant other is a media holic, I guess you'd call him, but that's fine. Lot, you know, movies, movies look great on that 60 inch screen. So I bet. I bet. So yeah. I have a question for you. Do you write on a desktop or a laptop? A laptop. I write on a laptop and I write sitting in a chaise long with my feet up. Oh, I, nice. don't, I, I don't write at a desk. I don't know I why. I do that too. Yeah. Cause I mean, did you spend a lot of your life, your adult working life sitting at a desk? Oh yes. Oh yes. And I have to say, as we were talking before we started about the fact that my life changed dramatically a little over a year ago when I lost my job um, when the company I worked for, closed its doors. And I have to say, I have not for one second missed going into the office and working, even though it was a great place to work. The people were awesome. The work I did was useful. You know, I was working on the American Heart Association account and that kind of thing. But I really, I don't miss it at all. We are so privileged to have the lives we have as writers. We are. And we can work anywhere. Yep. 
And since the pandemic, um, I've worn my yoga pants out, you know, it's like, oh, do I have to get dressed, you know, and, and I walk my dogs and I look at my husband, I'm like, it's 2.30, can I put my pajamas on? <laughs> you know, how embarrassing is that? But there's a true confession for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear it all over the place. So you're, you're definitely not alone. And, um, and yeah, just to know that I'm not suffering financially the way so many people who can't do this are. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's humbling. It, <laughs> it is. The least. It is. I mean, we're close to retirement age. You know, my husband and I are close to retirement age, but I feel, I feel sorry for the kids, um, the middle school and high school kids and all the things that they've missed out on, the seniors this past year that didn't have graduation, and then the socialization that kids need at the, these formidable years that they're missing out on. But I'm concerned that we're opening schools too early. Yeah. I about it. Well, a lot of schools are backtracking now and saying, uh, we thought we could do this, but maybe not. So, right. you know, we'll see. We'll see how we'll it goes. See. Well, I, I, live, I live half a mile away from the Smith College campus. And oh, you do? Wow. Yes. Beautiful and, neighborhood. Oh, it's gorgeous. I love it. And, and, of course, because I'm an alum, I get to use their libraries, which mm. are full of information and resources I can't get anywhere else. That's great. So you're, you're embarking on a new series now, but it's not historical, right? That's correct. I am. Um, I feel like the Sarah Bennett mysteries were my nod to Gothic mysteries and my Cat Carlisle mysteries, which I may come back to at some point because I love Cat. Um, they were my nod to the British mysteries that I love. <laughs> some of that is going to make it into the podcast, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, we're gonna have to. He's gonna have to come get her and lock her up. <laughs> Can you come get her, please? <laughs> you have to close the door, please. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, starting over. My Sarah Bennett mysteries were the nod to the gothics that I love that I mentioned earlier, and my Cat Carlisle books, which I may come back to because I love Cat were my nod to the British mysteries that I love. And I feel like my new series is this series I was born to tell. Um, I spent my professional life working as a litigation paralegal. Um, I was a court reporter for a while. And then I went to work for one of my clients. Um, I've always been a good legal researcher and writer. And I spent my professional career doing that, knowing I always wanted to write fiction. Um, my new series takes place in modern times. Actually, I backed it to 2014, so I didn't have to deal with the pandemic. I've got four years of stories where I don't have to deal with COVID before yeah. 2020, six years. And um, she's a 62-year-old divorce attorney. And the first book takes place on her 62nd birthday. And she's about ready to retire. And I'm looking, I mean, I just feel like it's the story I was born to tell. And I'm looking forward to writing an older protagonist. I'm looking forward to grappling the issues that women in their 60s deal with. Um, I also have younger characters. She has a daughter, um, a talented, artistic daughter. And so there's going to be a, a breadth of characters. It's not just going to be an old lady book, um, for lack of a better way. But, um, and these stories are in keeping with, I would compare them to the television show, The Good Wife. Oh, yeah. Have you ever watched The Good Wife? Oh, my God, and yes. I've watched it several times through. Yes. Me too. It's really good. And there's a show in the UK called The Split. Have you ever watched The Split? 
it's really good. And so I kind of wanted to pull uh, the components of those stories that I liked and write a series with, you know, that I can use my legal background. And um, I've spent a lot of time in courtrooms and um, I'm looking forward to the legal issue, writing the legal issues. But more importantly, I'm looking forward to grappling with um, what women of a certain age have to deal with. Yeah. You know, all my books, people tell me, have a feminist um, undertone. And I'm a woman, and I've lived my life seeing how women are marginalized and not paid fairly and hunted, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better word. I mean, it's a little dramatic, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so those themes show up in my stories, you know, but you could substitute woman and feminism for racism and ageism and anyism that you want. Um, but I'm all about justice and I'm all about sunlight is disinfectant and, and things like that, again, are a launching pad for conflict and drama yes, you know, to carry it, to carry a 300 page novel. Yes, you know, which absolutely. Is important. Well, those sound really fun. And I read a lot of contemporary mysteries too. I've always loved them. I really love the idea of having older protagonists as a person who has written many novels that center around teenage, late teenage, early 20s type of people as their main women, mainly as their main characters. I just read an arc of a book and I'm, I'm in, interviewing the author tomorrow night. Her name is Finola Austin mm-hmm. and it's her debut novel and it's called Bronte's Mistress. And it's mm. about... Yes, it's about Branwell. It's from the point of view, first person, of Branwell Bronte's mistress, who was much older. She was in her mid to late 40s when when they were having an affair. And I love having that point of view as the main point of view with those concerns. And, and I'm really, yeah, so I applaud the idea of having older female protagonists. Uh, I think it's very- important... And older women tell me they feel invisible. And, you know, and this idea that we're supposed to go broke looking young. And when I let my hair go gray um, about five years ago, I, you know, I got mixed reviews. My husband was fine with it. And it was, it's funny because women were the, my women friends, some of my women friends were just like, you're going to look older. It's like, I am older. <laughs> What's wrong? I can look, I'm cool. I'm okay with looking older. But you, I do notice um, people look at you and treat you a little bit differently. And it's interesting to me. And I intend on grappling with that in, in these books um, because it's a thing. Yes, it's, it is. And it's also an interesting see, thing. Sorry, go I, ahead. I, I was just going to say, just going to add that it, um, I watch a lot of British shows and they have a different perspective of the older women than we do in America. My, in, in my opinion, watching these shows, they, when older women are allowed to be older women. Yeah. They don't try to do something different. And I see yeah. older women in American, especially portrayed on American television, because you get the visual, you know, they're, they're getting, they're doing stuff to cling to that vestige of youth. You know? And they're always wearing high heels. Yes. Oh my God. Drives me nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I gave those up a long time ago. They hurt my back. (laughs) Oh, me too. It's all about comfort. And believe it or not, this is my natural 
hair color. It's pretty. It's in, you have a very nice, love it. Yeah, we grow, we go gray late in our family because I'm 65. You're 65. You look yes. great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. But, you know, uh, yeah, it's that whole pressure. It's really difficult. And what I was going to say is I find it interesting, not just I, I love that you're grappling with it in the contemporary sense, but also to grapple with it in, histor- in a historical sense in how right. older women in history were treated and oh, what happened to them. And it's... Um, it's something that's been on my mind a lot lately as I'm working on this other book I told you about, which goes through her middle age and she didn't live very long. She died at the age of 53, I think, oh. or something. Wow. Yeah. But you always come up with these wonderful, obscure characters that are so cool. Like that are, <laughs> so, you know, it's just like, how did you come up with that? <laughs> you know, it's yeah, just brilliant. Well, well, what's funny is that I don't know about you. I mean, you're, I don't know if you're coming at it from a different direction, but with me, sometimes just the tiniest thing I stumble on in research, I'll just sort of say, ooh, that looks interesting. It's like and a tapestry I, thread. Yes, exactly. And I, and, and I'm going to pull this. Of, yeah, exactly. And, and I think I stumbled on someone else today that I might, whose thread I might pull in the future. <laughs> I don't know yet. So though. neat. That's so neat. Yeah. I'm excited. But don't you just love this job? I just love this job. Yes. Love it so much. I mean, I love it. And and I'm also now working with other writers as a book coach, which is so gratifying. It's incredibly gratifying. I really love it. And and I'm amazed at, at how well they do and how that I'm actually able to help them is yeah, is you know, it's like, oh, oh. I guess I said the right thing. <laughs> you know, I think it's really important. You know, I'm, I'm writing. I can't believe I'm working on my eighth book. I'm getting ready to write my eighth book. My seventh book is being edited. And when I'm finished, I'm, I have a three-book contract. And when I, I'm going to step away and do some studying, you know, like I bought some books and I want to read them and break them down. You know, I'm, it's important to have a beginner mind and have the mind of a student well, as an author, that I think is it's so, really important. That is such a good thing. I, it seems to me every person I've talked to has come up with one another little sort of morsel <laughs> that's really a great. Nugget having 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 the mind of a student while you're writing, and and absolutely because of course we have to let go of our works at a certain point. They just have to go, but they have to that go. doesn't mean you yeah. can't keep trying to make subsequent to write better as you go along and to acknowledge that it can always be better. Well, writing is amazing because if you write regularly, I mean, I go back and I read my old books and I think, good God, what was I thinking? This sucks, you know, but it's not, I mean, and they don't because people love them and, and I have people that say thank you and stuff, but you get writing, you get better and the results are tangible. If you, if you stick to it, um, you know, if you stick to it, you'll improve. And you probably saw Ira Glass's, it's called The Gap. Um, Ira Glass from This American Life gave this commencement speech. Or if, if, you, if, you're re, if your listeners Google it, and paraphrasing, he basically says, when you start out as an artist or photographer or filmmaker or whatever, you have a certain level of sophistication and taste. And when you start to do your own work, it doesn't match your taste. 
you know, because you're a beginner. And most people give up before they do the time and the practice to get to eventually, if you're lucky and you stick with it, your good taste will catch up to your ability to do your art. And it's a not give up thing. And I think about that all the time. And I'm really, really glad I stumbled across that because I've quit, almost quit writing over the course of my life. And I'm really glad I didn't because as I sit here now, you know, I'm writing and writing full time and, and it's about balancing the commercial with the art because I don't want to stifle my creativity, but I love what I'm doing. I feel like I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm really grateful. I'm just, that is so great. I, I'm going to have to go and look for that. Look for that. Uh, it's probably on Ira Glass, the gap. Ira Glass, The Gap. And okay. if it's not on YouTube, it's, you can find it a, a written version. It's a great, it's great. Changed my that, life. And that is so true. And, and you know, as, as a person who's approaching her later life, I don't like to say <laughs> I'm actually old yet. But no. to me, to me, constantly learning is the key to staying young. I just want my brain to keep finding things out and figuring things out and, and things like that. And writing forces you to do that. You're figuring out a three act structure and you're figuring out people that play a role in it. And it's putting a puzzle together. It's building a puzzle, putting it together and then having someone else critique it and then taking it apart and putting it back together again. I mean, it's, it's stimulating. It's stimulating. And it's just satisfying because if someone makes you mad, you can put them in a book and kill them. <laughs> I don't think I've actually done that, but I have given characteristics of people I dislike to characters that are not my favorite characters. Right. That's, <laughs> For that's sure. kind of what I meant. I was just being Yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, is, if, you're writing, if you're writing murder mysteries, you can do that, right? Yeah, but it's a little harder in some other formats, but yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So is there anything I've neglected to ask you? Anything else you would like to say? No, no. Um, if your listeners want to come to my website, terrylynthomas.com and sign up for my mailing list, I send emails out when I have books on sale or a new release. And um, follow Suzanne and me on BookBub because mm. we like you to get emails when our books go on sale for 99 cents. You can get free discounted books on BookBub. So thank you so much, Terry. This has been a fabulous conversation. I really am so excited that I've had a chance to kind of get to know you as we've been friends online for, for quite a while. But mm-hmm. yeah, this is really awesome. Thank you so much. And best of luck with your new series too. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this. I can't wait to listen to your upcoming guests. What a great idea. I'm sure this will be successful. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too.